Welcome, everyone, to another Keen Miller podcast. My name is Steve Boutwell. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for the firm. And with me today is Jimmy Dupuy. Jimmy is a partner in our office in the Woodlands, Texas, and one of the leaders of our upstream mineral title practice. Welcome, Jimmy. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here. I want to just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, about your practice, and kind of what you do to help oil and gas companies in Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, and Louisiana. Sure. Thank you. So most of my clients are oil and gas exploration and production companies or the companies that drill oil and gas wells. And before they do that, they've got to make sure they have all the rights to do that. They don't want to drill a well and trespass on somebody's land or something like that. So we um, we do oil and gas title opinions for them. We consult with their land and their legal departments and with land companies that they hire. And we review paperwork and uh, issue title opinion letters and, and uh, tell them whether or not they can drill the planned oil and gas well where they want to drill it, and then also how to pay proceeds once they make a well. And I work, I'm the only partner in the in the group over here in the, in the office in the Woodlands, but I've got uh, five very experienced and talented associate attorneys who help me out and, uh, and support me uh, in, our, in our oil and gas clients. You know, in your recent blog post, Money for Nothing and your post-production costs for free, you know, you talk in the article about whether or not the operator of an oil and gas well could deduct their pre-production costs uh, and that it could play a significant role in the economics of the well, not only for the operator, but for the royalty owner. So tell us a little bit about the, the Texas Supreme Court's interpretation of the lease in Bluestone v. Randall and what this interpretation might mean for those, first of all, on the royalty side of the well, and second, on the operational side? Sure. Well, first, a, a quick comment in your, in your question. Um, it was a slip of the tongue, obviously, but uh, you said pre-production costs. And the actual, the issue here was was what to do production costs. Uh, but but that I'll use that to illustrate the sort of the difference here. Pre-production costs, meaning all of the costs that are incurred, getting a well to be drilled, uh, drilling a well, completing a well, and bringing oil or gas up to the surface is what they call pre-production costs. And oil and gas companies are, have always been responsible for all of that cost. The royalty owners, by definition, it's a cost-free share of production. So by, by definition, the royalty owners don't ever pay any share of pre-production costs. But oil and gas owners are, are, are getting more and more sophisticated. And I don't know when they started doing this, but but in fairly recent history, they started uh, putting provisions in their leases that that say that the uh, oil and gas operator is responsible not only for pre-production costs, but certain post-production costs. In other words, bringing the uh, hydrocarbon from the well bore once it's produced all the way down to a market. And so in that sense, those provisions sort of add value to the royalty because because the operator is then carrying all of the costs, not just to the wellhead, but all the way to the market. So it makes a royalty that might otherwise be 25% of production, you know, in effect, be more than 25% of production because it's it's cost-free when 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 in, in normal circumstances the operator and the royalty owner would share post-production costs or or all of the costs, you know, after the the hydrocarbon is produced and leaves the wellhead uh, and is in all the way down to when it's sold to a purchaser. Okay, that's very helpful. So in uh, in Bluestone, they argued that there was no conflict between the at the well language and the body 
and the gross received language in the addendum. Tell us what that means. Sure. So just a little background on how oil and gas leases are typically drafted. Uh, most companies start with like a commercial form, an oil and gas form. Uh, and these are forms that are printed by companies. And there's there's a handful of them out there, but they're all very consistent in their form. But since oil and gas leases are contracts, they're often negotiated. And so landowners will sometimes, instead of rewriting the whole lease, because it's a, it's a form, literally like in a booklet in the old days, they'll add an addendum or an exhibit A attached to it that will modify certain provisions in the lease form. So a lot of the provisions in an exhibit A start with something like, you know, notwithstanding anything here into the contrary, and then they'll provide some sort of substantive language that that may modify or conflict with the language in the pre-printed form. In this case, the the exhibit A or the addendum had some language that's not atypical when you have a, a contract like that, that said if there's any difference or discrepancy between the language in the body of the lease and the addendum, then the language in the addendum uh, controls. And so that that was why that issue came up in this case. And specifically, the language that differed was the language that pertained to whether or not, or, or rather uh, pertained to who would be responsible for paying post-production costs. The language in the body of the lease, which is typical of, of most oil and gas leases, the language in the body of the lease said that uh, royalty was to be valued at the wellhead, uh, which means that all of the costs after the wellhead down to the point of sale would be borne by both the operator and the royalty owner. But the language in the addendum contained some different language, saying that royalty would be valued on gross proceeds. And there, were, and there was the conflict between the body of the lease and the addendum, and that was one of the legal issues uh, in the case. So what do you think the impact of that interpretation would be going forward? I see this case as a consistent with the state of the law and, uh, and, and a correct decision. I think the, the legal analysis is correct. It, it didn't change the law. It clarified some minor aspects of the law and kind of added to the body of case law. But one thing I think that's interesting about the case that wasn't in the blog post, but that was in in the the, the facts as recited in the in the case in the case by the court, was that this this lease in question had been had been producing for I don't know 15 or 20 years, and for the first 10 years of its of its life, the owner of the lease at that time was not charging the royalty owner any post-production costs, but a new a new company bought the lease and then started deducting post-production costs, which decreased the value of the landowner's royalty and resulted in this case in the initial lawsuit, which ended up in this Supreme Court decision. So if there's a lesson to be learned, I think it's uh, that, that inertia is powerful and that a, a party's course of conduct and course of dealings is, is important. And the result, I, I don't know, could have been different, I suppose, if, if the operator hadn't sort of switched the way they computed royalties midstream. I think that was one of the factors that sort of precipitated the uh, the lawsuit and kind of upset the landowners. That's great. Great, great advice and uh, great analysis there. So let's like, thank everyone for joining us uh, for this Keen Miller podcast. For more information on this topic, please visit www.texaslawblog.law and see the article by Jimmy Dupuy, Money for Nothing and Your Post-Production Costs for Free.